Welcome to the special edition of AutoLine Detroit, coming to you from the floor of the North American International Auto Show at Cobo Hall in Detroit, Michigan. We've got a terrific lineup of guests talking all about what's been happening here at this show. Starting with Dan Neal, the Pulitzer Prize winning journalist from the Los Angeles Times, who won that Pulitzer Prize, by the way, for writing car reviews. First time that's ever happened. After that, I'll be speaking with Pete Reyes, the chief engineer for the new Ford Taurus, which made a splash with its introduction at the show. Then I'll be speaking with Jim O'Sullivan, the head of Mazda for all of North America, talking about their plans going forward. And finally, I'll wrap it up speaking with Rod Alberts, the head of the Detroit Auto Dealers Association, which puts on this very show. We'll be talking about where it's going in the future as well. So don't go away. We'll be back right after this. Direct from the floor of the North American International Auto Show, this is AutoLine. Here now is John McElroy. Joining me right now is Jim O'Sullivan from Mazda North America. Great to have you here on the set of AutoLine. Great to be here. Fantastic. Happy to be here in Detroit. So let's talk about what happened last year with Mazda. I mean, you guys didn't do too bad, all things no, considered. No, we kind of held our own. If I take a look at the North American business, you know, our sales were off about 10% for the full year here in the U.S. Market share went up two tenths. Matter of fact, we got a 2.0 share coming out of the year. Best share we've had since 1994. And when you go back to 94, we're selling a lot of B-series trucks. Our mix last year was a lot richer from what it was back then. Mexico, all-time record year. Best month, best year we ever had in, in Mexico since we launched the brand there. And in Canada, we maintain a relatively flat amount uh, of business, but still market share well over 5%. So we held our ground a little bit as Why? we transitioned. How'd you do it? Well, number one, I think the value that we provide to customers, what they're looking for in this economic environment, really play key to it. I mean, Mazda 3 certainly has been the strength and backbone of the company for a long time, but last year with what happened with fuel prices going up and then obviously coming back down, we saw a huge spike in interest in Mazda 3 and Mazda 5. So we had products that were relevant to the, to the segment, to the industry. Then we launched the all-new Mazda 6. We started in the summer shipping and it went on business in the fall. And a lot of that momentum has kind of continued in terms of relative to the industry to the fourth quarter. Uh, but I think we had products that were really relevant and we had financing and leasing available to our customers. So yeah, that was big. Let's talk about the product. New Mazda 6 came out in 08. Beautiful car. That must have helped you. Great. Fantastic. I mean, the one thing that's different from the Mazda 6 here than the one in Europe, obviously we did a different packaging size and powertrain here on Mazda 6 for the North American market. Uh, if you recall, the Mazda 6 that we sold previous, perfect car, but customers here in North America wanted more power and more room. And that's what we provided in the new model. And that's why we think it's resonating with the customer here in North America. And what America. about styling? I mean, this is uh, a much more dramatically styled car. Well, it's not a commodity car. One of the things that's very strong about Mazda, and we won't go to segments unless we can do it, is Zoom Zoom soul of a sports car, so our drive dynamics is fantastic, and our style and design have to be stand out. And that's the thing that really our new Mazda 6 delivers here in North America. And talk about the new Mazda 3 that's coming, too. Well, as I said before, our bread and butter car. Here we have, for the first time globally, the four-door Mazda 3 and the five-door Mazda 3. We did the introduction of the four-door Mazda 3, all-new car in Los Angeles in the fall, and we did the five-door in Italy. So this is where they all come together for us. So we're very optimistic on it. We start shipping cars to the dealers on the new Mazda 3 in March. They go on sale in the spring, and it's perfectly, hopefully, as the economy starts coming back and the industry starts to improve. Talk a little bit about yourself, because you're a guy who came out of Ford. Ford has had 
controlling interest in Mazda, yep. now because of the situation they had to sell part of that, but you stayed with Mazda. Yes, well the thing is, it's first and foremost, the relationship between Mazda and Ford is going to continue to stay strong. We still have our equity in terms of AAI here in Flat Rock 50-50, AAT in Bangkok, Thailand 50-50, our JVs obviously in China. That remains unchanged. Uh, 32 years with Ford, third generation obviously, so I still got a love for the Ford uh, Blue Oval. But the thing I think it was important in terms of staying focused and continuity within Mazda, I felt it was the best thing really for the dealers, the company, our employees, both Mazda and Ford felt the same way, so obviously became a Mazda employee because of reasons that were necessary. So. What's coming next? Where, where do you see holes in the lineup or whatever? What do you think you've got to address Well, now? certainly we're looking at further opportunities relative to uh, you know expanding the lineup. But the real focus right now is to, to get Mazda 6 launched. That's very important. CD segment here in the United States is still large, very, very significant. And launching Mazda 3 this year is going to be very key. It's our high volume vehicle line. One of every three Mazdas that we sell in the United States is a Mazda 3. So the importance of this launch is important. So our priority is going through that. So beyond that, we're looking at some other things toward the back half of the year, which I'll talk to you about a little later. <laughs> and you've had a real focus on motorsports, too. That continues or why? Well, the one thing, John, a lot of people don't realize here in the United States, the number one raced brand on any given weekend is a Mazda. People think, no, Jim, but they think NASCAR, all that. Relative to the grassroots level, the laddering efforts that we've done for many, many years, we're very, very much involved in motorsports, and our commitment will remain there this year. And that certainly ties in with Zoom Zoom. Absolutely. Soul of a sports car and everything we do. Well, Jim O'Sullivan, thanks so much for coming in, bringing us up to speed with what's happening at Mazda. Great. Glad to be here. Thank you very much. Sitting down right now with Pete Reyes, the chief engineer of the new Ford Taurus. Pete, great to have you here. Thanks, John. And great let, to be here. Let's talk about this car. I mean, this ain't like any other Taurus that's come out before. You guys approach this with a totally different idea of what the car should be. Totally different concept. You know, early research for this car, uh, the customer told us they didn't want a staid classic family sedan, which was tough to get our heads around because when Taurus was and when Taurus was launched in '86, it was iconic. It revolutionized the segment, but it was a family sedan, and families are moving to crossovers, SUVs, and what the customer was telling us, they wanted something that was really expressive, something that they were almost guilty to buy for a family. <laughs> you know, they have to carry Almost their family guilty. and right. you know, but they just said I, I want to be guilty driving that thing. I, I want it to look so good and say so much about me. So and, and what I'm impressed about the car is I mean this is chock full of technology. I mean you guys are throwing every all the bells and whistles in on this car. Uh, well one of the things that quickly came away from when the customer told us they wanted uh, you know an expressive uh, car was they also wanted technology. They wanted it to be a flagship. And in, in fact we we had to get our heads around that internal to Ford say, you know what? The D segment is not going to be a family sedan. It's going to be the premium flagship that casts a halo over all the technology and everything that the Ford Oval wants to stand for. So you do put in the technology that is going to be exclusive to the D, but all the other connectivity that you want to carry down through the other sedans. Right. But that sounds to me like it's going to get really expensive, too. You know, you will surprise you, but uh, the car starts with the, at the same price as the outgoing price. No kidding. No kidding. Because it's a, it's a substantial upgrade all around. Even, you know, I'm just talking about the base car itself, right. not throwing all the options on it. Is, 
is a big step up from what it's been. It, it's a it's a big step up. It starts with the exterior look. You know, we lowered it three inches, we tucked it in, we made it tighter, we changed the proportions. And so you immediately look at the car and you say that can't be a Taurus. In fact, in research, people said you, you shouldn't call it a Taurus. It doesn't look like one. We said, oh no, we're going to call it a Taurus because uh, we know the name. We, we know the name and we're going to redefine the segment again. And in doing that, we employed a lot of technologies that said, hey, we can, we can get this leather stitched look in the door interiors and we can have two pieces and but we can we can do that in a way that uh, doesn't break the bank of Monte Carlo uh, isn't uh, real leather stitching like you'd find in a Lincoln we can't crowd the Lincoln too much yeah yeah <laughs> Lincoln might not like that no so is this a driver's car or is it more you know even though it's a flagship sedan is, is this what a driver would really want or the, is it more towards the family kind of no, a this dynamics is, no this is a driver car it's a we, we called it very early on the me car it's about me and so when you get inside of it you'll see the wraparound console and it, it, it actually fits you kind of snug and it's to put everything at your fingertips well one of the first things you grab is the steering wheel and the steering wheel is very contoured race inspired and on uh, the majority of the models we have select shift so uh, you know formula one in style paddle shifters where you can drop uh, even the base car into manual mode and shift it there and that just tells you you're in a driver's car and underneath that is modified MKS suspension with handling as uh, the center of the tuning. And very muscular looking car too, as, as opposed, you know, Taurus has been kind of soft and all that. Maybe not so much the most recent version of the Taurus, but, but this car very much is a muscular looking sedan. Yeah, the, the goal was athletic, muscular, but elegant. We didn't want to go so far into the only guys like it category. And you know, we have a Mustang that you know we know how to do and we lead that segment. So we, we can take cues from that and you'll see it in the interior, you'll see it in the shift handle, but at almost all the subtle lines, they're just lilted in a way that give you an elegant look. So it's, it's, it's muscular, but it has, a, it has a broad appeal. And it's gonna be out when? Uh, this summer. It'll arrive in dealerships this summer. And it's made where? Uh, Chicago Assembly Plant, uh, uh, where we make the current tours today. Yeah. So uh, I'm sure you guys have got to be as excited as I am. I, mean, I haven't driven the car yet. I'm dying to get in this thing. I'm dying to like. put you in it. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're thrilled. This was just a great project to work on. You know, when, uh, when you decide to make a flagship, you, 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 you unfetter. You unfetter design and you unfetter engineering. And you start thinking about, well, what else can we do? Well, let's do adaptive cruise control. Well, then let's turn it into forward warning, uh, forward collision warning. Let's do a heads-up display with that. Uh, let's do side uh, blind spot radars. And it became very fun trying to figure out how much we could, could put into this car. Well, real good. P. Reyes, thanks so much for coming in and bringing us up to speed with what the new Taurus is all about. John, thanks for having me. Joining me right now is Rod Alberts, the head of the Detroit Auto Dealers Association, which yeah. really puts on this North American International Auto Show. It is. The, uh, the North American International Auto Show was created uh, alongside the DADA. You know, we've been in the auto show since 1907, so it goes hand in hand. You know, 
I think I and all the other media people coming into the show were really down. We were expecting to see, you know, not much of anything. This thing looks a whole lot better than I think most of us expected it would be. Best setup in the whole world. I'm glad you felt that way, you know, because, you know, that under-promise bit and over-deliver. Uh, you know, right now we're set up. We've got the 50 unveilings like we have any other year and uh, worldwide, you know, you know, probably 85% of them. So uh, it really has been a great show so far. I've got uh, media numbers are, are way up this year and international-wise, probably 30, 35%. So uh, 50 countries, 6,000 media, how can it get better than that? And of course, the car companies are helping you in the sense that there's some very important introductions that are taking place at the show. But how many, what, uh, global premieres do you have going on uh, We probably have 38 to 40. I still get the final count after because I get surprised along the way that they don't tell me about. I'm, you know, I, you know I'm pretty good with secrets, but uh, the embargo that come out here in the next day or so still yet. But I feel like uh, we'll be at probably 38 to 40, 42 maybe. And again, that's right in line with what we normally have. North American debuts are important, but they may have been somewhere else like Frankfurt or Tokyo or Paris prior to this too. You know, when I look around the floor, number one, I can see clear across because yeah. some of the displays are not as extravagant as they've been in the past. And yet from a, a visual standpoint, with the lighting, with the colors of the cars, with the video screens and all that. It looks pretty good down here. You, you know, in the end, if you get right down to it, and the reason you and everybody else is here too, it's not about the displays, although that's a good image producing for the mm -hmm. companies. It's really about the, the product and the people. If I get the execs here and, and they're able to talk to you and other people here, then it's a winner. Um, so, you know, I'm not too concerned about displays. You go to Geneva, you know in Geneva that uh, they got restrictions on what they build there in a big way. And I didn't realize how maybe smart they are because they don't have that ebb and flow of financial challenges that go along with OEMs and how, how they can spend money on displays. So I'm not so sure uh, it's a bad thing because I can see all the way across the show floor and I can actually see friends of mine or, or not friends of mine <laughs> as I'm walking the <laughs> show floor. Avoid. Yeah, right. Yeah. Gives me a little heads up. So also, you've got some traction going here on expanding Cobo Hall, Correct. modernizing Cobo Hall. Tell us a little bit about what you know as to what might happen and when. Well, it's only taken 10 years. That's not very long, and I'm you know, a little grayer than I was before. Uh, but we're feeling uh, very good about maybe later this week or next week that uh, the governor will be signing the, the papers on the expansion. And truly, it's really not just about the expansion. What it's doing is upgrading the building because it's uh, you know 40 years old in regard to uh, the last time we had expansion, and or 20 years on that, but 40 years since the building was built, and it's very uh, archaic in many ways. So uh, my gut feeling is in probably two years, maybe three, uh, we're going to be into the into the expanded part, which will be going to the, into Cobo Arena and to the upgrades of the building, which are I got to tell you equally as important because you know you with dock doors and all that, which a lot of people don't care about, but you got to get everything in here in the middle of winter, which that's all part of the gig and all part of the game. And that'll save the the automakers money at their displays, right? They'll be able to build these things faster with uh, additional shipping docks and not have to yep. pay triple time or whatever between Christmas and New Year's to get everybody it wins. And more important than ever now because of the lean nature of the uh, the environment and. Where we are with everything in the economy, so I'm feeling very good about where we're uh, where we're headed with that Kobo, and I think it's going to be good for the city in the long run because we're going to build on the future of, of change here. Um, and Kobo's at the heart of it all. I say that from a standpoint of you know other events that go on like SAE and the Auto Show. But I would like to thank, although a little bias, that is quite a jewel that we have here because it is for two weeks we have the spotlight on Detroit, and it means a lot to all of us to have all these OEMs and all these execs and and all the media uh, from around the world right here on Detroit. Where do you take the show then? How do you expand it? How do you grow it? What well, might you do different in the future? You know, you know interesting, um, I find that the show floor, because of fewer bills, I mean, in regard to the aggressive nature of, it allows more room for cars and OEMs a little bit. 
and we know we have ebb and flow of people participating. It's kind of an accelerated floor plan change. I used to go five years on evolution. It all happened in one year now, maybe one month. Uh, so the change is occurring faster, but what I find with BYD and Brilliance and other companies, uh, Mahindra might be coming in next year, we're talking to a lot of people. And if we pull it off, you're going to see a lot more of that boutique and companies that are emerging. Um, I think uh, what you find with the Eco Center and uh, with the MEDC that we have down there, Michigan Economic Development Corporation, that, that knows how important it is to show the wares and strength of Michigan and Detroit and where the future lies, that ride and drive down there has been a hit. Doesn't matter how many people have driven on it yet, uh, it's going to be big public days, but it means a lot because it's symbolic of where we're headed and that the show in Detroit is embracing it in a big way. Uh, you know, the gallery too, we do a lot with the ultra luxury cars, so high powered cars, but next year I got an idea, but I can't share it yet. So I'm going for the trifecta. We're going for three in a row, you know? Well, we'll have you back here in a year to tell us what that is all about. I'll be happy to. Rod Albert, thanks so much for stopping by and bringing us up to speed on the Detroit Auto well, Show. Well, thanks for having me on too. I love this. Joining me right now is Dan Neal, Pulitzer Prize winner with the LA Times. Dan, great to have you here. Thanks, John. Nice to be here. Well, it's interesting. You're from the West Coast. You're coming to Detroit. It's a, it's a bitter, cold, blizzard kind of day here. What's your take on coming to the Detroit show? Is this thing a viable thing? Well, first of all, the weather isn't that bad in, in <laughs> Southeast Michigan. I think Californians who complain about the weather are just bragging because they don't have to live here. <laughs> It's very obnoxious. Second of all, uh, the Detroit Auto Show, although it's much smaller and obviously it's under duress this year, um, it will be back stronger uh, uh, in the next couple of years. It's interesting that each auto show seems to have uh, seems to have created its own reason for being. In uh, Los Angeles, it's obviously green technology, a lot of fancy cars, uh, but but mostly it's about uh, the regulatory environment of California. Uh, Detroit is uh, always about how the domestics are responding to the larger global market and that's the energy in this building today and has been in years past. Uh, Paris is obviously a style show. Uh, Geneva, uh, because it's uh, where it is, is uh, neutral. Right, and so you have a lot of Asian manufacturers, the Chinese come to Geneva. Uh, Geneva's probably the most ecumenical of the shows. So each show has its own uh, 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 mentality. There's no question that both uh, LA, number one, but also Chicago and New York would love to grab the, the preeminence that this show has, which is largely generated by how much international media comes to the show and international executives as That's well. That's true. Do you think LA's got a chance of usurping Detroit as uh, and becoming the number one No, show. not really. New York probably has a better chance of gaining market share. Really? Uh, what do you, you think? Well, because New York's uh, very nice to visit. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, LA's and, not? Uh, LA's uh, to visit. Mm, you know, LA's one of those places where you really need time to enjoy it. If you're just, if you just uh, skydive into LA, eh, you know. Uh, but New York, now New York, is a great place to visit for a couple of days. So I think that's probably one thing. And they've done a very good job organizing that show. Yeah, but you got so many Asian automakers in California. You got all the design right. studios. I mean, they want to see it happen. They would love to see the preeminent show be in LA. Well, uh, and you probably want to talk about something else. The big thing <laughs> is that uh, LA moved the date. Uh, and so the date being in late November, third week in November is much, much better. So it makes a lot more sense. Yeah. So as you go around the show here, what stands out? What really, is there a theme to it that you're picking up on? 
Well, I mean, as, as everyone will have noted by now, the, uh, the people are all moving in the same general direction in a way that suggests a center of gravity is forming around plug-ins, uh, hybrids, electrics. A um, couple of reasons for that. Obviously, the 2012 California uh, ZEV requirements, uh, for those not familiar with it, a certain number, 7,500 cars per year in California, uh, have to be zero emissions in order for those uh, car makers to do business in California. Well, that's a big number, relatively speaking. And uh, so in for a penny, in for a pound. The manufacturers are saying, well, this is the way of the future. Also, you look at the EPA regs of, uh, uh, coming in the next uh, yeah, decade. 2015. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot. those are big numbers. So the internal combustion engine, uh, unmoderated by any kind of electricity, probably can't make it, make those regulations. I mean, you, it can if you want to spend a quarter billion million dollars on it, but uh, other than that, it has to be some sort of hybrid. The market going to be there for these cars? I mean, we saw, uh, you know, uh, last month, you know, hybrid sales absolutely collapsed. Uh, gas is down around two I bucks know, a gallon. I know, you know, it's interesting. Uh, the American car, make, uh, car buying public has the memory of a hamster. Um, they, uh, if you, if you uh, correlate, uh, if, if you can back out financing, if you correlate, uh, a price of gas against the average MPG of vehicles uh, sold. I mean, it's a one-to-one -one relationship. So it's like last summer never happened to a lot of people, and it astonishes me. In fact, I think the manufacturers give people more credit than they deserve on that score. So people are, you know, guess what? Trucks are back, you know? Hey, all right. Well, I don't, I don't know that they're back, but they're, they're not as dead as they were exactly. just back in the middle of yeah, the summer. Yes, right. indeed. And uh, so... Um, uh, so in, in any event, I think that's, uh, that, that's uh, the, the, the number of buyers out there is uh, a big question. I was talking to Fisker, right? Fisker's, oh, we're going to do this. We're going to build $15,000, $90,000 plug-in hybrid electrics. They're going to go 125. Okay. But the one thing that they weren't sure about was when I asked them, well, are you sure this, the buyers are there? Then suddenly it gets very, very quiet. It's like, uh, we hope. <laughs> <laughs> well, real good. Dan Neal, it's always great to get your viewpoint on these things. I love having you come in and comment on what's going on. Thanks for stopping by. Thank you, John. Nice to be here. Visit our website for even more great content all week long. Autoline Extra, John's Journal, podcasts, and even more. So click over and get the inside view at AutolineDetroit.tv. A lot of people thought that the Detroit Auto Show was going to turn out to be dead as a doornail. But as you heard today, there was plenty to report about, whether it was news in the industry or the new product that came out at the show. In the coming weeks, we've got some interesting programs. We'll be looking at the environment with John DeChico from the Environmental Defense Fund, and I'll be joined with my colleague Paul Eisenstein from the Detroit Bureau for that. After that, we'll be sitting down with the major principals of Tesla, the electric sports car company. And later down the road from that, we'll have Jim Farley on the show, who's in charge of marketing for the entire Ford Motor Company. And remember, if you need a daily dose of news of what's going on in the industry, check us out at AutolineDaily.com. For all of us here at AutoLine Detroit, thanks for watching. We'll see you next week.